welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is Sunday, December 4th, and we are in our second week of our Advent series. And so I'm again joined by my wife, Danielle, as uh, she will join me on the podcast here this in this entire month. And so, uh, Danielle, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, we uh, we had our first episode last month or last week in this new teaching series here in Advent. And uh, we opened the floor up to say, hey, you know what? Ask ask us anything, or <laughs> literally an ask us, ask me anything, ask us anything uh, kind of podcast moment here over the month of Advent. Just as a chance to get to know uh, you, get to know me, and uh, get to know us, and um, and then and also take some questions here on the text. So today we looked at Rahab's story out of Joshua chapter 2, and uh, and the, really the sort of the, the big idea that we saw here is that God's, God's uh, redemption is limitless, right? So we saw the depth of God's redemption in Tamar, and we see the breadth of God's redemption here in Rahab, and uh, that God is able to redeem all kinds of people. And that's good news for, for us today, right? And so, uh, so we were in that story, and we, did, we even talked about it here in, this morning, that there are just some, there's some difficult things in that story, especially for us as modern readers, right? We're in this period of the conquest. Moses is done. He's led the people out of Egypt, out of their captivity. Now Joshua's leading them into the promised land, and that's it's that they're going to have to they're going to have there's some going to have some battles some fights that are going to happen in that period of the conquest and so um so there's just some uncomfortable things that happen for us in the way that we think about the world and all kinds of things as 21st century modern readers the second thing is that Rahab lies and so that's an uncomfortable reality in the text is that Ahab or a, Rahab excuse me she lies and the text doesn't, the text doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't throw her under the bus for that. In fact, James talks about her action of hiding the spies. It was, uh, it was this action of obedience. It was this action of faith. James chapter 2, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 talks about Rahab as uh, in the hall of faith, right? So the biblical authors vindicate Rahab. And I think it's, it's this uncomfortable reality for us that we you know, we go, we want everything in its, in its own prescriptive, right, wrong, black, white, <laughs> you know, but the ethical realities of our lives are difficult and they're complex and there's often a lot of gray. And so what we see Rahab doing is following something called ethical hierarchalism. And that is that she is following, she's following the prima facie or the ultimate, uh, ethical conviction. And that is to protect the life of the spies and to follow God's uh, will, God's commands there, and uh, and so she does that. It's it's the same it's the same uh, ethical hierarchalism that we would apply in places like Nazi Germany, right? When um, Christians and all kinds of people were hiding Jews in their homes from uh, from from the Nazis, so that from the Holocaust, right, preventing them from being taken for the Holocaust, and so. Uh, right, so if a soldier came and knocked on your door and said, "Hey, are you hiding any Jews here?" You would have said, "No, we're not." <laughs> right? You wouldn't be like, "Oh yeah, they're in the back room," you know, because God told me not to lie. So I'm, you know, so we 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 apply ethical hierarchalism in our lives. You actually a handful of years ago, you actually wrote a piece for uh, the EFCA that was about uh, Christians that um, really did justice work. And um, who was the was a French French couple? Andres? Yeah. Uh, oh, I can't remember their first name. Sorry, I'm randomly name. springing Andres. this on you. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, there was, I mean, there have been several people throughout history who have protected yeah, lots. the oppressed and mm-hmm. those that were in need of protection. Um, and then those that were like untouchable too during mm-hmm. the plague. And yep. there were, there was one um, pastor uh, or reverend that, took care of people in the plague that, you know, like he just went and like God protected him from it yeah. miraculously from getting it, yeah. you know, and yeah. yet he was able to go and minister to people and love on them and uh, sometimes administer like last rites and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, so I know you wrote a piece on this, but I mean, so it's Christians have engaged in these spaces for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And so we engage, we do this in, in our lives and it's complicated, it's hard work. And so often we, we, we don't do this in isolation. We need to do this with other people, especially when we're wrestling through very difficult ethical circumstances, when we're trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's the most God honoring path mm -hmm. in a difficult circumstance. We need one another. We need the word of God, right? Because the, uh, the word of God will never violate the, or the will of God will never violate the word of God. You know, if God has given us a prescription, the will of God will never go against that. And so when we're trying to figure out what's God's will, how do we act? How do we honor God in those things? We need the word of God as our foundation. We need one another as our, as our foundation and to, to sort that out and to tease those things out. And so we see Rahab, she's in a very difficult circumstance. The Bible doesn't doesn't try to make it anything more than it is, right? It's a very difficult circumstance. And um, and yet one of the things we profoundly saw this morning is that God's grace always goes before his judgment. And again, that's something as a modern audience we have a really hard time with, is that God will judge the living and the dead. I mean, so even through the New Testament, there's a strong theme that God will judge. Revelation culminates in God's judgment, his righteous, perfect judgment. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and yet again, in, in Advent, uh, we we experience God's grace ahead of his final judgment. So God's grace always precedes his ju final judgment. But we just, as modern readers, modern thinkers, modern audience, we don't like that idea of judgment. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't fit well with us or with our modern co uh, consciousness or cultural preferences or, you know, those kind That's of things. True. And so it becomes uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that the complicatedness of the of this passage of scripture, with the <clears throat> ethics of of lying or even of war, yeah, you know, yeah. when you said that this morning about this is the age of conquest uh, for the Israelites, you know, my brain went, nobody is good with war. No, and no. Whenever you know you think about um, things that are going on today with like Ukraine and Russia and like, yeah. We automatically like think of the person that's conquesting as the bad guy, but the, like, yeah, that's the people that we're rooting for in the Bible here, you know. <laughs> yeah. So there's um, there's like a complication there that our modern minds can't wrap itself around. Mm -hmm. Yep. But I actually have a question in regard to that. Yeah. That came in today. Yeah, Are you and ready we, for we have we have a few questions from the sermon, and then we've got a handful of questions. That were sent in just about uh, for us, right? Just yeah. as a Kyle and Danielle Q and A question time. Yeah, and actually, a lot of those questions have to do with ethical issues too, and so particularly with like parenting. Yeah. So I think that that'll kind of tie It'll in nicely. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so we had some questions in the text again, wrestling with the difficulty of the text. Um, so yeah, what was the first question that came in? Yeah, so the, the first one is about this idea of Age of Conquest. It says, mm -hmm. God called for the total destruction of the cities uh, the early Israelite people conquered. But as you go further, they reappear in mm -hmm. Scripture. Yeah. Did they not get totally wiped out, or was it possible that those people were just restarting in those areas? Yeah, that's a fair question. That's a really fair question. Um, so I think the easiest way to understand this, and it, it's a great observation because the Philistines, the Philistines are one of those, uh, people groups that, um, that is, is noted and is the whole, like, and they wiped them out. <laughs> they obliterated them. They, you know, they removed them from the face of the earth. And it's a very uncomfortable language, but as we understand the biblical authors specifically in the genre of old Testament narrative or historical narrative, Within, within the Old Testament authors and in the tone and, and literary style of writing within the ancient Near East, uh, they were very comfortable with the use of hyperbole. And we're, we're actually really comfortable with the use of hyperbole as well. We just use it in a different arena, right? So when we talk about, you know, um, our, our favorite sports team, you know, let's just say it's ISU uh, football or ISU maybe uh, basketball is a better example right now, men's basketball or women's basketball, right? Um, two teams that, that are, are really good, you know, and let's say that they, they beat their opponent by 10 points. And what's the headline the next, the next day? You know, the Cyclones obliterated, right? Yeah, yeah. They wiped out the competition. You're like, actually, it was only they beat them by 10 points, right? Mm -hmm. So we use hyperbole in 
all kinds of contexts in, in modernity. And we're comfortable with it. And we understand the nuance of it. And so one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is that, uh, especially these what, we, what might be termed as the genocidal passages, right? Where, where God says, you are to literally obliterate, you are to wipe out this people group. And so two things. One, what we saw today in Rahab's story is that for 40 years, all through the land of Canaan, for 40 years, all through the land of Canaan, they heard about what God had done in Egypt. And even in Egypt, even the plagues, like, yeah, we look at the whole, the 10th plague, the, the death of the firstborn son, that is, that is, for our modern minds, so difficult to wrap around. Like, why would God do this? But God didn't start there. He didn't start there. Right? He started with the river of blood and then escalates. And the whole purpose of it is that in that Near Eastern antiquity, the viability or the legitimacy of the divine being was wrapped up in its power to affect things, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so the, most, the most reasonable, the most logical apologetic or defense of God's ability and presence and uh, reality that he's the one true God is to show his demonstrable power, right? I mean, think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You, know, you think of that story, right? So prophets of Baal, um, they're trying, they're trying to get the, the altar on fire and all of that kind of thing. And it doesn't happen. I love that story, by the way, because <laughs> yeah. Elijah kind of makes fun of them. <laughs> he does. He like goes like, them on. Come on, tell your gods to do this. And maybe if you do this and shout a little louder, it's yes. going to work. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Elijah's he's like having talking a, smack. <laughs> yeah. He's talking smack to them. And then when it gets to, to God's turn, he's like, Hey, why don't you douse it with some more water? How about again? How about you flood this thing out? And then God consumes not just the the, alt, the sacrifice, but he consumes the entire altar up in fire, right? And all the water. And all the water. I mean, everything, you know? And so so there's even this interesting, back to Pharaoh. Um, so we, we said with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, God demonstrates his immense power. That's the most viable apologetic to this culture and this, this moment in history. Even with Pharaoh, in the Exodus, we see that the text says, and God turned Pharaoh's heart hard, or he made Pharaoh's heart hard. Uh, the, the better understanding of the nuance of the Hebrew text there is that God didn't just push a button and turn Pharaoh's heart hard, that God had repeatedly given Pharaoh sign and symbol to show him that he was the one true God and gave Pharaoh chance after chance to repent, chance after chance to be redeemed, renewed, made whole, uh, to follow him. Yet at each moment of Pharaoh's resistance, Pharaoh's heart grew harder, right? And so God ramped up the reality. And finally, you know, God's purpose was for his people to be set free. Um, he wa- I, I believe God wanted uh, Egypt to be redeemed, Pharaoh to be redeemed, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yet it was, it was Pharaoh's opposition, his willful opposition that grew his heart to be hard. And again, out of the, the, you know, really is the failure of Israel is why they're in the desert for 40 years. But even out of the failure of Israel, God uses that failure graciously, A, for Israel's development, B, for the communication to the people of the land of Canaan, where now this, this message has gone out about this God, Yahweh, Elohim, the God of the Israelites, the one true God. Look what he can do. Right. And the moment Rahab gets to respond to it, she does. And so the other thing about historic um, or Old Testament historical narrative that that is uncomfortable are the details that aren't included, right? So, um, so with that, we don't know how many other people responded. We know that Rahab did, and if Rahab did, and it's been talked about for forty years, it is logical that other people responded and were grafted in. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, it's it's safe to assume that historically that others were grafted in. Um, and then secondly, it's just when we, when, the, when we keep seeing these people groups that were annihilated or um, obliterated keep popping up later on. Philistines are a prime example of this. We see them all throughout the Old Testament. We see them in the day of Isaiah, and even in the, in the period of conquest, they were to, they were to obliterate the Philistines. <laughs> but yet we see them popping back up in the day of Isaiah, and it's like, wait, where did they come from? I thought they were. And it's like, nope. I, really, the, the, the explanation there is that in this, in the the literary form of in the use of hyperbole, is just that right. And we and we use hyperbole all the time, and we understand it, and we're comfortable with it. We just 
there's just some things about an ancient text that we go, wait, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But if we were an original audience, we would have been like, oh, okay, that's hyperbole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I I think that it's just mind-blowing to me when I look at Scripture, even thinking about this morning with Rahab that you pointed out, you know, people have been talking about the Exodus for 40 years. Yeah. And so what would have happened if Pharaoh never... Like, he decided, oh, you can, you know, like, yeah, sure, you can go. Mm-hmm. Like, would people have been talking about that kind of moment for 40 years? And I know that, yeah. I know that's hard for our, um, our hearts to grasp because we don't, we don't want to see anybody harmed and we want to see everybody, you know, all good mm-hmm. and not yeah. ever like bodily harmed or, and we just live in a different mindset cultural mindset. Yes, we do. Completely. Yeah. yeah. But to understand that like God used war and he used these difficult, even mm-hmm. like tragic situations for other people groups like the Egyptians. <laughs> I mean, my heart kind of aches for like all the Egyptian mamas that lost their babies that day, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and then they probably lost a lot of their husbands whenever that yeah. wave hit them yeah. <laughs> when they crossed the Red Sea, you know, yeah. but, but if that hadn't happened, then maybe Rahab wouldn't have, you know, said, you know, you can, I want to hide, I'm going to hide you and I'm going to protect you. And it's because of what we've heard that your God has done. Yeah. So there's, there's just some difficulties there, but yeah, yeah. I, there are some, di- again, what you noted is that we approach life with a very utopian mindset in our modern Western yes. age, right? We, we have an ideal. We believe not just the not just we have the ideal, but we believe that the ideal can be achieved. And in the and in the scope of the scriptures, we are walking back towards the ideal. But the ideal only comes through a reigning, conquering king. And so even even to get to the ideal when Jesus comes back, even in his second return, that. Believers are to reign with Christ. We are to we are going to reign with Christ. There will be a final battle. And battle that is that battle of Armageddon, right? All of hell and the devil and every will be will be bound up into the lake of fire. And again, Jesus is a reigning, conquering King. So, so in this, again, we just as modern readers, thinkers, people, we have, it's not just we have an ideal, but we truly believe that the ideal can be achieved here and now. The scriptures say, yes, we will get to the ideal. Not now. We'll experience the ideal in part now, one day in full. But even to get to that, Jesus will come back as a reigning, conquering king, right? Yeah. And so um, so this this whole idea of conflict, and I think the other side of it too is it just puts, I mean, just Danielle, as you're talking, like, okay, yes, God used, God used Pharaoh. God used the circumstances that they were in. We're not God. Our, we don't have divine foreknowledge. We can't see all of the possibilities. What, what's in front of us is how it unfolded. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that God worked in the midst of human circumstances with human autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. That's complicated. And yet, if the story was different, could God still have done it? Yes, he would have. Would God still be working towards his purposes of bringing the Messiah to save us? Yes, he would have, right? You think about any of the Old Testament kings that were awful, evil people. Uh, referenced Ahaz today. What if Ahaz would have followed God? <laughs> what if Ahaz wouldn't have made an, an alliance with Assyria in Isaiah chapter 7? Like, would human history have been different? Yes. But would God have still been moving towards his purposes of bringing the Messiah? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's where it comes in. And we're just, we are greeted firmly with our, our frailty and our finiteness. You know, and we go, okay. And there's things in the, there's things throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, where we're just like, man, I'm uncomfortable with that. And it's okay to be uncomfortable, but to also look for the grace and the work and the will of God being accomplished in and through those stories. And Rahab is, Rahab is one of them. Yeah, Yeah. this is where we need to employ faith and trust in the Mm -hmm. Lord's goodness and in his justice. It's where we say, Wow, God is a powerful, mighty creator God, and he's done so much in this world. He gives us that evidence in the natural world even. Mm -hmm. And then to say, if that's the God who did all of that, both good and powerful, then surely he knows 
what to do with human history. Yeah. He knows what to do with the complicated yeah. nature of our sin and brokenness and just all of yep. that. Like he knows, and we have to employ trust where we don't have all the answers for scripture. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, there's a lot of things that you could say, what, you know, like what does, I'm not sure that I can, I'm not sure that I can believe unless I have all of these little things mm-hmm. tidily wrapped yeah. up in a bow, but you, you can't like, yeah. I mean, you can't do that with anything, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't do that with Scripture. No. So. Yeah, yeah. So I think, again, we're getting down the road here of hermodiology, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of man. Oh, that sounds And funny. all of these things. We're getting to some some deep waters here, which is a fun conversation. But, um, again, you know, we are, we are to look and to see the forward movement of God. And as like you said, trust in the goodness of God because we've seen him be good in the past. And yeah. ultimately... We've seen him be supremely good because he made good on his promise to bring Messiah. He made good on his promise to send the one who could redeem us, and that's Jesus. And if he's done that, then we can trust everything else, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so um, because of the incarnation, because of Emmanuel, the God who dwells with us, because of Jesus, we can trust God uh, wholeheartedly. And, and we can wrestle with the Old Testament and passages and go, okay, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm uncomfortable. I see grace. I see God's redemptive narrative playing through the whole thing. I may not understand it. I may not be comfortable with it. But I'm just going to trust. But I'm going to trust. You have to employ some yeah. trust, some faith. Yeah. Well, speaking of hyperbole. Yes. Um, the next question says, what does the passage mean when it says people were melting before them? Is this literal or a figurative meaning? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, we're getting into language of Old Testament narrative, right? And so just like in any genre of literature, language matters, how we employ language matters, the, the tense tone, uh, expressions of language, it all, it all matters very much. And so, um, yeah, I think w- what is happening here, yes, uh, are people, are they literally melting, like melting in like a bar of chocolate in the sun? No. <laughs> um <laughs> When you get to the when you get to the the, the battle of Jericho, um, obviously you know we see Jericho. The walls come crumbling down. So did they melt in that way? Yes. Uh, did did God hand over um, you know those that were opposed to God and opposed to God's people to them in victory? Yes, He did. Um, but also there's the sense of spiritual melting, and it's what we see in Rahab, right? It's Proverbs 9, uh, 9, 10, 10, 9, 9, 10, somewhere. It says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it is this melting of posture as well. It's Rahab's confession in verses 10 and 11. The, the, your God is the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. He is the one true God. So it's this both melting of heart and spiritual posture to acknowledging uh, Yahweh, Elohim, the God of Israel as the one true God. And for those that did not acknowledge him in that way, uh, they were forced to acknowledge him through the means of the loss of battle. Right. And so, um, so yeah, so it's, it's a melting in both God handing Israel the victory and giving them the land of promise. And at the same time, all of those inhabitants that responded to the gracious reality that that, it, that Yahweh is the one true God, that they were then grafted in. They were folded into the family, just as Rahab was, and, um, and experienced the, the love and grace of God in that way. And so, uh, so yes, there's a, there's a physical reality to the melting, and then there's a spiritual reality to the melting. Yeah. Yeah, so good question. Yeah. O- Old Testament question. Uh, narrative language. So, yeah. Lots of hyperbole in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially in Old Testament narrative. And we just have to, it, it's just hard to parse through it sometimes, yeah. you know. You have and, to read um, it in context mm-hmm. a lot of times to understand yeah. if that's actually, you know, if it's hyperbole or if it's not. And sometimes the context is the first couple verses before and after. Yep. And sometimes the context is the whole chapter. And sometimes the context is the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah, the larger breadth of like scripture. You, you need to understand the yeah. principles of scripture in order to understand one small passage at yeah. times. Yep. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the uh, the the other Kylan Danielle questions. Oh boy, we have all these questions about parenting that came in, <laughs> which is fun. Because it's, it's gonna good because you are a parenting expert, and I'm just <laughs> making it up as I go. Mm, I am a learning parent. Um, I do a lot of reading, and mm-hmm. um, I try a lot of different things, and hope that they work. <laughs> <laughs> and each kid is different. Yes. We've heard that from, from, uh, and again, I think here's the best piece of parenting advice that we ever got. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Is that you need to be in relationship with people who are down the road from you, right? That you need, you need friends that are in the next stage and you need friends and people, mentors in your life that are like way down the road, <laughs> yeah. you know? Because they can speak to the stage that you're in and what you're going through and yeah. all of those things with a with level of clarity that when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the trenches, you can't see the forest through the trees, Yeah, you know? And so, um, so I think the best peer, the best piece of advice that we ever got, I know it's been for me, is just saddling up next to rubbing shoulders with building relationship with people who are just down the road from me where I'm mm-hmm. at and asking questions, yeah. you know? And Community so, is yeah. super important to have other um, people in your life that have children, both at like your stage and season, but also um, maybe one that's like right ahead of you. Like maybe if you have little kids, you want somebody as teenagers. And if, you know, like you also need somebody that's like got grown children and at at least you're watching them, even if you're not like, directly being mentored by them, although that would be amazing. And I highly recommend that um, just to see like, okay, like what kind of lives are those people living that their kids have turned out pretty darn good, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So um, the first one has to do with screen time. Mm -hmm. When and how should we start using or allowing our children to use smart devices, watches or phones. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, question. just in general for screen time, oh, I'm going to put this one out there too. How do you engage with books, TV, internet, radio in a way that's not putting your kids in a bubble, but mm-hmm. also not appropriately exposing them to ideas or concepts that don't need to be known at this age or stage. Like what boundaries yeah. do you put in place? So this is a question about boundaries in regards to yeah. technology, yeah. I would say. Um, both TV, cell phones, um, maybe maybe video games, sure. all of that. Yep. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think this is a great question, and obviously one that uh, parents of all stages are wrestling through. Um, it's one that we wrestle through, right? Um, I, I often think of this, the moment uh, with our oldest. She and I were in Target, and we had just upgraded our cell phones, right? We had just gotten new cell phones, Danielle, you and I had, and we gave our oldest your old phone. <clears throat> we had given our oldest your old phone, and really to play with, to play with, not right? like to use. No, it had no yeah. SIM card in it, had no data or anything like that. But it had. She loved listening to music, so I had set it up for for music only. Really, it was, it was basically a glorified iPod, <laughs> and uh, and we were in Target, and we just got a few, just a handful of things. Didn't even get a basket. Didn't need a basket. But I asked her at one point. I was like, "Hey, could you carry these bananas?" And she said, "Dad, I'm on my phone." And I was like, mm, give me your phone right now. <laughs> I was like, your phone is a gone, you know. And we actually got to the point where we, we actually banned play play phones in Anything our house. that could be used as a phone. It could be like a wooden block. A wooden, yeah, they, yeah. Well, because when they were little, like they just got really obnoxious with them. They would and fight over them. And yeah. yeah, it was just band <laughs> yeah so it didn't matter what it was um we just it would always erupted in a fight so we just said hey that's we're not doing that in our house right um you and i have we've made rules for our kids i mean our kids don't have devices they don't have any devices our oldest has a like an old school very basic mp3 player <laughs> you yeah. know and so um but we don't we don't have our phones at the table we've made a rule of that that our phones get put away at certain times um, you know so that we're present to our kids and modeling those kind of things and so uh, the question of boundaries with our phones not is not just a good one for our kids but it's a good one for ourselves and I think here's the thing about all kinds of leadership whether you are leading in your home or leading in a business or uh, leading in a group or whatever 
Um, you cannot lead people to a place that you have not been before, right? So if you want your kids to have boundaries for their cell phones, you need to have boundaries for your cell phone, mm-hmm. right? If you want kids to have your kids to have boundaries and respect boundaries for your for the devices, you need to have boundaries for the devices yourself. Yeah. And there's tons of evidence out there that it's it's so important not to be on your device before you go to sleep. And actually. Actually, there's a study that was done that uh, showed cortisol levels, the stress hormone, is actually reduced when you do not sleep in the same room as your device. Like, so leave your phone in the kitchen overnight, and it will actually help you sleep better and reduce your stress level, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's super interesting, you know. Um, but I heard I heard a, a friend say this one time when, when it comes to devices, and I think I just want to whisper this to all the parents that are listening, is that the device that your child has is yours, mm-hmm. right? Um, if, if your child has a, a, a lock password on that device, you should know it. You should have access to that device, right? Especially when it comes to teenagers. And boundaries are a lot easier to enforce on the front end than they are to institute halfway through, right? Now, if you find yourself halfway through, don't, don't give up on the work. Engage, engage in the work. But remember, every device that's in your home is yours, you know, and you have the right to have access to it um, because it's your responsibility to protect your kids. And so um, so I think I think that's the first thing is when we think about devices, sometimes we think about them, per, oh, oh, that's my kid's personal. You know, I don't want to invade their privacy. Uh, there's lots of people on yeah. the internet that, that are all about invading their privacy. Yeah. You know, you it's should. It's your job to be the protector. Yeah. 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 So don't, don't give up that side of it. Right. Um, there's all kinds of different, uh, family, you know, family link is a Google product that is out there that allows you to see and monitor and can have some control over your kids' devices. It's free, all that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of different services out there that helps you monitor that. Um, but I think, I think that's, that's step one, is realizing your responsibility and your role. You know what I mean? I mean, Danielle, honestly, right? you know the password to my phone. Mm-hmm. I know the password to your phone. Like at any point in time, I could pick your phone up and start scrolling through it, and you'd probably be like, uh, hey, creep, what you doing? Yeah, and actually we <laughs> but share passwords on everything. 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 There's so. not an account that I have that you can't get into. Right. Right. And so um, you might look at me sideways when I'm scrolling through your phone, but, um, you know, or I might, you might, I might be like, wait, what are you doing with my phone? You know? Um, well, and you know what? That doesn't even really happen. No. You, you don't pick up my phone and start scrolling through it. I mean, no, there's no like, there's no yeah. manipulative like checking right. or lack of trust there. But the reality is that we share passwords for everything. So whether it's your spouse, if your spouse has a device that you can't get into, unless they're a top secret agent, you know, with uh, NASA or the CIA, um, like you and your spouse should share passwords for everything, you know, and there should not be secrets in that way. That's like a whole different conversation. That's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but it, it applies to our kids as well. And yeah. I think when our kids see us doing that, yeah. that we're modeling something for them there, yeah. you know? Um, I think the other, the other thing that I've heard and I think is a helpful line is when to give my kid, my child, a device, uh, particularly a device that is able to really communicate and text back and forth, all mm-hmm. those things. Um, is when they are missing out on social opportunities. Whether we love it or hate it or like it or whatever, there comes an age where our kids are going to begin to miss out on social opportunities because they're not connected in some way. And so um, I think you should prolong giving them devices. I mean, we we talk with our yeah, oldest about... as long as possible. You know, she's not getting a cell phone until she's 16. Now, that's probably not feasible, because of the social reality of it? Well, maybe not her own cell phone. I mean, I feel like there's like a work ethic too that mm-hmm. needs to come along and a responsibility. Yep. Like if you're able to help pay for the cell phone yeah. or you're able to pay for the plan that comes for the cell phone. So whenever that is that you're allowed to have a job or you can yeah. handle a job, that would be a good time yeah. for that. I mean, that's just us. That's yeah. our. That is our processes on it yeah we obviously don't have teenagers yet nope but just holding off as long as possible for yeah. that and again and it and there's there's plenty of studies that have shown um actually it's a, a recent study that just came out of stanford on the pandemic it actually showed that um 
that adolescents' brains aged in the 15 months of uh, what we had of quarantine, that quarantine period, adolescent brains aged on average three years in that 15 to 19 months. You mean period. like faster? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Was that because of their use of because of you height, heightened time? use of screen time and the stresses of mm. the uh, the lockdowns and some of those kind of things? Now that's not yeah. to say that like they had to grow up faster. Yeah, yeah, it, it was actually detrimental. It's it's detrimental to their to their long term health. We see and we see this in all kinds of ways that our brains are not are really not wired for some of the. Um, the, the sorting through misinformation and disinformation that we see on social media, our brains are really not wired for that. Um, and so we struggle with that. It causes increased stress levels. It causes increased aging of our brains. It decreases neuroplasticity. That is the, that is the, the, the fact that the brain can uh, continue to learn and memorize and um, our memory uh, capabilities. Yeah. And um, so there, there, there are significant studies on the detriment of social media and technology, mm-hmm. screen stuff on our brains. And so actually, like I said, Stanford just came out with a study that showed that there was a, there was a significant uh, challenge uh, to the uh, to, to, to brains of adolescents that yeah. they that they were aged uh, on average three years in that in that period, primarily due to the uh, the unique stresses that they were under, and I think we can all be so, uh, unbelievable. We all we're all sympathetic, right? No matter right. what political persuasion we come at. I mean, my my brain probably aged three years during the pandemic. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, like yeah, yeah. And you know what? Those are the things that I am probably the most concerned about when it comes to um, smart devices and social media. And all of that with our kids. And that's why I say, you know, try to hold back as long as possible. Yeah. I didn't get my first, this is going to make me sound really bad, but I didn't get my first smart device until I was in college. So well, part like, of that is because they weren't out until. Part of it. <laughs> it was, well, no, but I mean, you had one even before. I, I was still using a flip phone. But, you know, I think I want to give my kids that same chance to develop their brains without the harmful effects mm-hmm. of, yeah, you know, scrolling on my phone and the addiction that comes with that. Like there is a, you know, a real addiction that yeah. comes with your smart device that you can find anything on there. I can get a recipe on there. I can go shopping on there. I can keep track of my notes on there. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's like we're always picking it up. I would yeah. really recommend a resource for this, not in regards to parenting, but even in regards to our own cell phone usage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I recently read a book called called How to Break Up with Your Phone, yeah. and it gives so many good uh, details about what our brains, um, how our brains are changed by yep. our cell phone usage, but also super practical tips on how to no longer be kind of... Um, addicted or trapped by our cell phones because I think the way that we model our cell phone usage is how yeah. our children will. And that I think again, what we model, how we lead, mm-hmm. is what our kids will pick up on. Uh, this is this is a, a longtime youth pastor here, right? I mean, so I did youth ministry for fifteen years before I stepped into my first uh, adult role, and um, and and that was you know before I became the lead pastor. Of our church, and so longtime youth pastor speaking here, um, parents uh, Barna Barna has produced this research. Pew Research has produced this research over and over again. Parents are the single most influential source on a child's life. Mm-hmm. We don't always feel like we're the most influential. We think of <clears throat> friends, we think of media, we think of all kinds of things as being influential, and they are influential. But but research after research has proven and concluded. Parents are the single most influential, again, positively and negatively influential. I mean, think of our own lives, right? I mean, how yeah. much of our own lives are reactions to the things that our parents did well or they didn't do well, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, the way that we lead um, is so important. The things that we model for our kids so important. We're not perfect. We can't be perfect for our kids. If we seem to pretend like we're perfect, that's not going to do our kids any good either, no. Right, so it's owning our mistakes in front of our kids and with our kids to be learning with our kids. Um, I think just some simple rules that we've put in place. Our kids can have books in their room. 
they they're not allowed to have any smart they're not allowed to have any devices in their room we have one room with one tv like like we don't even have a tv in our room you know what i mean yeah um if we're on our phone and uh, and our children are trying to get uh, our attention we we explain to them what we are doing hey i'm sending so and so a message it might look like i'm just scrolling facebook they can't tell what i'm doing so i need to communicate to them what i'm doing and when i'm going to get back to them because they can't figure out if I'm on Facebook or if I'm sending in a, you know, an important message to my spouse or to um, somebody, right? Right. They, they, they can't figure that out. I will often like actually say what I'm doing on my phone. Yeah. Like yeah. if it's something, a lot of times when I read something where it said, if your daughter walks in the room, you know, put down your phone and give her all your attention. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. But there are times when I like, my kids interrupt me every two seconds. And so I will say to them, I'm so sorry. I will listen to you very carefully in just a moment. This person, I've been trying to message yeah. this person back all day, you know, yeah. or, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm ordering us lunch, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, do you want lunch? So just yeah. hang tight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's just, we're just, we are just trying to put boundaries in, in our own lives personally and in the lives of our kids for devices. So we limit the rooms that devices are allowed in. Mm-hmm. Um, studies have shown if you keep devices out of the room that you sleep in, it helps you to sleep better. Uh, there's a great, there's a great uh, read. It's a pretty easy read. It's a pretty non-technical read, but backed up with some really good research. It's called the common rule, uh, habits of purpose in an age of distraction. And, um, and so that is by written by a guy named Justin early. Again, that's called the common rule habits of purpose for an age of distraction. That's a great read just as parents to wrap our minds around technology and how do we live with purpose in this, in this current cultural moment around the issue of technology. But again, let me just encourage you parents in this way. One, all of the devices in your home are your devices, Yeah. (laughs) right? They are yours. Um, and you should have access to them and you should have access to the accounts that your kids have on them, right? Um, you should not feel bad about doing those things. Um, and so, yes, you need to be upfront. Yes, you need to be clear with your kids. Yes, you need to build rapport and relationship and trust with your kid. Like you can't just, it's not healthy. You can do this. It's not healthy just to say, give me your phone. I'm going to check up on you. And that, you know, like, yeah build relationship. It's, it's honestly, it's one of the reasons like I take our kids out every single week, every single week for a one-on-one date with me. And it is just a chance. We go, we go get bagels at Panera. It's not crazy expensive. It's repeatable. They enjoy it. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's just, it's building relationship, you know? And so, uh, as our kids get older, we don't have physical proximity over them anymore. We only have relational proximity. We can't physically pick them up and make them do the right thing uh, when we could when they were two, three, four, five. Uh, when they are 16, 17, 18, 25, we only have relational proximity over them. And we need to, we need to watch our relationship change. So when they become adults, we need to operate on a peer level with them. We can't continue to parent them like we did when they were five. That just that just blows the relationship up with our kids, and so, um, <clears throat> so we're we're walking in the middle of that trench, and we're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, this is, uh, you know, this is a great question, and it's an important question. It's not just an important question for our kids, but it's an important question for each and every and every one of us as we as we walk through this age of technology and age of distraction. And I think we'll wrap we'll wrap it up here. There's a bunch of other questions. We'll get to them in. Uh, the future weeks here on the, on the podcast of answering some of these, but how do you monitor content? Um, Danielle, I know you often will look up, yeah, you know, the, the movies and that yeah. kind of on, on common sense media, common sense and media, um, even uh, common sense media will give you a limited number of um, checks before they make you pay for it, which might yeah. actually be worth it because yep. of what the, the, they tell you about the content. And then IMBD, they just have a simple parent guide. Yeah. And honestly, there's a lot of times where the parent guide or even the common sense media doesn't give me a sense of like, oh, this is a movie or a show I want my kids to be watching. And sometimes things are just hidden in there that yeah. like aren't part of our values. And so like I get, you know, kind of I watch it and then I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't even in there, you know, yeah. Um yeah relying on the Holy spirit a lot where like, if I feel 
a little like, oh, there's something I don't I don't feel good about this. Like yeah. there's something that's not right about this. Either I just won't let them watch it at all, or if I have time, I'll preview it. Mm-hmm. And um, Danielle watches a lot of kids shows. Oh, so many kids shows. <laughs> um, I actually don't have a lot of time to preview it. No, I huh? think before when our kids were younger, I said we're going to be so intentional about yeah. what. We have them watch. And so nothing that they watch, we will not have watched first, you know, or read or that's just not practical. It's not always practical. Like that's a lot of television watching for um, a parent or, you know, reading of kids books. Some of it is possible, but I rely on the Holy Spirit. And then also if they end up watching something that is not um, appropriate or not something that ends up being part of our family values, We'll just have a conversation about it. And it becomes a moment of teaching to say, listen, I know that you heard those things in there. Yep. We don't actually like that's those aren't words that we use. You know, sometimes when it comes to language, I'll just be like, you know, we don't use those words like that doesn't make you look very intelligent you or hear daddy you know use those like, words when he's cooking uh, <laughs> or mama. No. no 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 um <laughs> when i burn the alfredo for the thousandth time um anyways but uh, or like if there's something that is like blatantly sexual or too mm-hmm. violent yeah, or yeah. you know like we'll just we'll just stop and we'll say you know like those we'll just have a discussion about it yeah. and what does god's word say about that what do we mm-hmm. know about the Bible? You know, what does the Bible say about this scenario? Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, not a terrible way to, like, have them have some exposure to what the world is like. Um, yeah, and also, we, when I was growing up, I watched all kinds of things that I probably yes, should not have been watching yes. without any discussion. And yet, yeah. God was faithful to help develop in me a sense of right and wrong. and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me feels like maybe I'm being a little too, um, too well, concerned about this. Like some things go right over your kid's head that like hit you smack in the face, yes. you know? Yeah. And I think that's important is that, um, so again, everybody's kid is different. Mm-hmm. There are things that will scare our children or scare one of our kids that would not scare the other two or would not scare their friends. Like you we know? can't watch Homeward Bound. We can't, we can't watch <laughs> Homeward Bound. Our neighbors watch Star Wars with their kids. That's fine. Like, yeah. we cannot with our kids because they will have nightmares. Oh, my gosh. You know? Do you remember the zombie snail? Oh, my, the zombie snail. What, caused, what movie was that in? It wasn't a movie. It was like a TV show that, like, there was a snail, a cartoon snail that was like a zombie, you know? And like, yeah. By the way, had, Danielle just put her fingers up in air quotes, like, <laughs> zombie, because it really was, it was like, it was the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. But it caused nightmares for, like, three days straight. Yeah. And, um, you got to protect your sleep parents. You <laughs> so, I mean, some of this is just purely selfish. We don't, yeah. we don't watch it things cause we want to sleep. <laughs> so I think, I think there's, you got to know your kids, right? And just remember, you can't protect them from everything, nor do you want to protect them from everything. Here's, here's a rule that Danielle and I have often said is that we want to help our kids work through age appropriate problems at their appropriate ages. Because if we protect them from everything, then when they're 18, 19, 20, and all of life hits them, and we've sheltered them, we've protected them out of good intentions, we have not helped them determine, develop the grit and the muscles to work through those things on their own. And yeah. so so it's one of our parenting philosophies, and it's not one that we picked that we did on our own. It's one that we've seen people do time and time again that has proved well is that we want to help our kids walk through and work through age-appropriate problems at their appropriate age and stage. And I think you said this, and this is important to remember. I know we're closing in here on an hour on the podcast. A lot lot of thoughts here. But is that there are things and themes that we will notice in movies and TV that go over our kids' heads. Mm -hmm. Like we got this advice when we were talking about doing the puberty conversation with our kids. Answer the question they're asking, not the question you think they're asking. Yeah, not <laughs> right. Not th- you don't. You just answer just the enough. Yeah, you know, like yeah. to answer the question, you don't have to go into extreme detail. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole different thing, but that's the same. Yeah, idea. That, yeah. but I mean, there are things that you watch on television. Yep. Jokes, even like in some of the movies that are supposed to be for kids, there are adult jokes. They write adult jokes in there to keep adults engaged. Yeah, and you don't and notice the kids them. don't even notice it. So yeah, 
So I think it's, it's being aware of what is the question my child is asking? Were they even aware of something? Engage the topic with them in an age-appropriate way. Um, here's, here's one last thing, uh, just a boundary that we've just reset as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, anything on PBS and anything on Right Now Media we're okay with our kids watching. Yeah, it's pretty um, clean. It's a pretty, it's a pretty safe room. <laughs> all educational, so, all Jesus-y. <laughs> yeah, so when we are not Almost. in the room with them, right, and they're like, hey, can we go watch TV? And our answer is yes, anything on Right Now Media, anything on PBS. That's, mm-hmm. your, that's the field you can operate in without us. That's the safest space, right? Now, do we limit them to those, those channels only all the time? No, like yeah. we watch stuff with them, you know, but uh, before they get down some rabbit trail <laughs> and they're watching, you know, Die Hard all of a sudden. <laughs> and we're like, how did you get from Daniel Tiger's neighborhood to Die Hard? Yeah. And then they're like, well, I don't know. We just made three clicks and all of a sudden we were there and this is pretty cool. And, you know, like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Yeah. So I think giving your kids some room to run, giving them this, the, they need boundaries. Um, and boundaries can be reset. Boundaries can be retooled. Mm-hmm. Boundaries can be adjusted. Um, but you know, we, we just, our our kids need them and they need them from us. And so, um, so yeah, we just got to walk with them graciously and intentionally and patiently through it all, uh, just as much as we are, we're learning alongside of them. So, so many good questions here. I'm looking forward to answering them next week. Yeah. A few more on there. And again, we offer all of this as we're works in progress. Uh, We're learning, we're growing, we're trying to figure it out. And and every family um, is different. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be be growing in your relationship with Jesus and let him guide those decisions as well. Yep. And lean into older people that are down the road from you. Yeah. Right. Lean into those (laughs) folks. I found that if I ask, if I ask an older guy and I say, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I see you doing this thing well and I want to learn how to do it well. Not only will they buy me coffee, but they'll probably buy me lunch. It works out great for me every single time. And, uh, you know, so lean into some older folks in your life that are down the road and they're a wealth of wealth of wisdom here. So, well, again, thanks for these great questions. And we look forward to uh, taking some more of them on here on the next uh, next episode next week on Beyond the Sermon podcast. Yeah, see you next week. 